Welcome to Going to Extras, the Are These Guys Serious sports podcast hosted by myself, Aaron Stewart, and my good buddy, Adam Ferguson. What up, Adam? What's going on, man? Another week, another podcast. Another week. I got to say, the reason that I said, are these guys serious is um, because if you listen to our podcast last week regarding the Denver Broncos and the Kansas City Chiefs uh, (laughs) prior to that game last week, um, I don't know, you know, if you would have been with us or not, but looking at the results, uh, you know, people have to be thinking, Adam, are these guys serious? It's a good thing I didn't put actual money on the game. I said that I would take the Broncos plus the points uh, on last week's podcast, and it's a good thing that I uh, uh, I didn't get up to betting on the actual game because I would have lost some money on that one. Wow. That wow, was a, did the Broncos look bad. That would have been a mistake and a half, but we'll get there uh, a little bit later in the show here. Um, but we want to start off. Um, we had um, some big – some big news in sports this week. The Los Angeles Dodgers are World Series champions. What do you think about that, Adam? Uh, uh, yeah, great. It's awesome. But, man, it can't just be me thinking that baseball just kind of felt meh this year. And it's shortened season. It just it just felt weird. Like – there's no asterisk involved with the, with the world series champion. That's not what I'm saying. It's, it it just kind of felt like it was a, a boring season because it was so short. I, I, maybe it's just me being a pirates fan because they're the worst team in the league. And I just had nothing going for me in baseball this year, but I, I gotta be honest with you. I watched game seven of the ALCS and NLCS. I didn't watch one game of the world series, not one game. I, you know, I'll be honest to you. I didn't really watch. Uh, I didn't really watch a lot of the World Series either. Um, I was paying attention to it. I guess you could say, you know, at the end of games, just seeing, you yeah. know, what was going on, and uh, would have loved to have seen a Game Seven. Um, but you know, for me, uh, man, I just, I, I don't know what it is about the Dodgers. I just, I just can't, I just can't like the Dodgers. I just can't. Um, I have nothing. Oh, I, w- I have nothing against the Dodgers. I, I I like Mookie Betts a lot. I've always been a huge Mookie Betts fan, even when he was in Boston. And I'm not necessarily a huge Boston Red Sox fan. I've always like I've always liked Mookie Betts a lot. I've always liked Clayton Kershaw a lot. Uh, I think that the Dodgers as a whole have a likable squad. Um, they kind of have a mid 2000s late 2000s new york yankees feel to them where they have yes. a ridiculous payroll which i'm all for i i don't if you have the money if you're a large market and you have the money i expect you to spend the money to compete and get a team to compete i have no issues with this year's dodgers or the yankees of old going out and getting huge free agents on big contracts zero issues with that and Stu, as a current phillies fan you should have zero problems with that too. It's you true. used to it's have true. problems with it when it was the Yankees, but now that you're doing it, and I remember we've been friends a long time, <laughs> and when the Yankees were doing it, 
you hated it, but now the Phillies are doing it and you love I'm it. here for it. I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> my, I think my issue, my issue here was, um, well, nobody, I think was a fan of the shortened season. And to me, all these rule changes and things like that. I mean, I, I'm hoping that some of these rule changes don't stick around. Granted, we didn't see them in the postseason, but, um, I liked the underdog story here of the Tampa Bay Rays coming in. Their entire squad was making just above the amount that Mookie Betts and I believe it was Bellinger, like might two players Justin, combined. It might have been Justin Turner or Clayton Kershaw, somebody. Something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, something like yeah. that. The the Rays' entire team was making just like $2 million over those two players, and I like that story a lot. Um, but two things I do want to talk about uh, that we saw in this series, and one thing that I really think – potentially cost the Rays a, a championship or may, at least a game seven. Um, you said you didn't watch the game, so I'm not sure. I know, you know, I know you what you're about to say. About Blake yeah. Snell. Yep. Man, so I don't understand that decision. I understand it's the World Series. Um, they come out, they pull him after just over five innings pitched. At that point, had only given up uh, two hits. I don't think he had a run tallied to him until the reliever came in. Uh, and he gave up that run, but only had given up two hits, had struck out nine. And this is the kicker. I saw this online. The next three batters that he was going to face were Betts, Seeger, and Turner, I believe. All three of them in that game were 0 for 6 with six strikeouts against Snell. Um, and so, man, I, I really I really don't I don't understand that that call. Um, bringing well, him out I, of the game that's no, I, I as dominant it. as he was. I get it because the the narrative of Blake Snell all season was that he never pitched over five and a third or five and two thirds innings in the entire regular season and in the entire postseason. Never pitched six innings in a in a single game. Never. So what changed? I I, I seventy five pitches. What was the inning count? I don't know. Seventy five pitches. Was, that's about. He, he, he had 5.1 That's innings about pitched to his tally. Had pitched all season long, and I get it. I get that he had the favorable matchups, but everybody jumping down Kevin Cash's throat, or yeah, yeah, jumping down his throat and saying, "Why would you pull a guy when he's pitching like that?" At least he was consistent. He consistently had Blake Snell pitch that amount all season and all postseason. I get that it's Game 7 of the World Series, and I get that – or not Game 7. I get that it's the World Series, and I get that we see weird things happen in the World Series, like starters coming out of relief. I get it. But the entire season, Blake Snell pitched right around that amount of innings slash pitches, whatever you want to call it. And – if you're an analytics guy, you, you, you do look at the, 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 the stats, and Mookie Betts does hit better against righties, and he brought in a righty and gave up runs, but he does hit better against righties. But I, I have to praise the consistency. Now, if you're an analytics guy, you're against it. You, you know, Blake Smell is mowing people down, but it really wasn't any different than what happened in the entire regular season with Blake Snell. Yeah, I hear you. I just, you know, I remember – several years ago, the San Francisco giants in the world series. And like when you're, when you're in that position, when you're in a, a must win game six, you've, I feel like you have to throw some consistency out the window and you've got to just go with what's working. And I remember, uh, 
I can't remember if it was a game seven or what it was, but I remember Madison Bumgarner coming out of the bullpen to close a game in the world series uh, because of how dominant he was. And in this instance, when your pitcher had only given up two hits and struck out nine, um, six, six of those strikeouts attributing to three of the four best hitters in that lineup. I, I, in, in a must win or you're going home, you, I, I you can't have, make that call. You have a guy who you're going to, you said Betts, Seeger, and Turner. Mookie Betts, second hottest hitter on the Dodgers. Po- entire postseason was unreal. Corey Seeger, one of the most historic playoff runs at the plate that we've ever seen. And you've got Justin Turner, who mashes lefties, has been very good against that. I get that they were 0 for 6 or whatever it was, 6 strike. I get it. But you're also, at that point, your third time through the lineup. And that's where pit, that's where professional hitters, especially a professional hitter like Mookie Becks, who in my position or my opinion is the second best player in baseball. These type of players catch up to pitchers. And that third time around the lineup, it gets really tricky. It gets really tricky, especially with Blake Snell, who hadn't pitched longer than that outing all season. So it can go either way. What we're doing and I'm not a huge fan of this, I'm guilty of it, and it's very easy to do, is we're playing the result. 100% we're playing the result. Because what if Blake Snell goes out there and he gives up the same amount of runs, the same amount of hits, and they put themselves in that same situation, what are we saying? He kept Blake Snell in too long. You just can't You can't know, and we're playing the results. Yeah, it's true. It's true. There's no way to know, and, uh, you know, it, like you said, um, the only way to know is if you could rewind time, and obviously we can't do that. So we are left to wonder. But but I'll tell you, I'll tell you, it 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 reminded me of a time as a Philadelphia Phillies fan where a very analytical coach by the name of Gabe Kapler uh, pulled Aaron Nola in the season opener after like four innings, and and we ended up losing that game. And so I think maybe that's why it's a little bit uh, a little bit more angering to me is because I've seen it done before and I've seen it cost, you know, my, my team, the loss. And so honestly, I get um, surprised as a pirates fan. I get surprised if they give up one hit for five innings ever. So it doesn't, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not used to that. I'm used to being on the opposite end where a pitcher's mowing your team down. But speaking of that, I, I, I uh, saw a, an interesting Facebook post that you put out this week on the Going to Extras Facebook page. And this is something we're going to get doing here in the future is, is a little bit more interaction with the people that listen and the people that are on our Facebook page. Um, you asked out of four pitchers postseason, you you have you have um, this was for starter. the World Series. Yeah, one starter to win you a World Series, and you put four pitchers. Madison Bumgarner, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, and Justin Verlander. You put those four. Now, my question for you before I give my answer, I already gave my answer on Facebook, but I didn't kind of clarify myself. We are talking the historic body of work or as they are correct. now? No, correct. The the historic, it, you know, in their career, in their, answer, in their experience. i got to change my answer then because why on earth would anybody take anybody other than Madison Bumgarner. I, I initially said Max Scherzer, if I'm taking him at 425 on October 29th, Central Time, of course, but October 29th, I'm taking Max Scherzer to pitch for me tonight in the World Series. But if we're going the historic body of work, you have to go Madison Bumgarner. He's the best starting pitcher 
he might be the best pitcher in postseason history. And that's that's saying a lot because Mariano Rivera is an all-time great, different position. He, he came in at the end of games, which is still impressive, high-pressure situations. But Madison Bumgarner may be the best pitcher in postseason history. And unfortunately, I, I got to see that in the wild card game in those three years where the Pirates were a playoff contender. Two of those years they lost in the wild card game. And the first year was they went up against Madison Bumgarner. And this was at really the peak of his prime where he was mowing hitters down. And the other one was Jake Arrieta, the year that he was ridiculous for the Chicago Cubs. They ran into those two pitchers in the wild card game and they nothing happened against them because they're so good. But I got to change my answer because I said on Facebook, Max Scherzer, but I was thinking right this second, but historic body of work it has to be madison Bumgarner. it has to be yeah so some of the some of the responses we saw in here um we had a a friend of mine rodney he just said i would pick clayton gave no response or anything like that but you know my it you i i want to say you i mean maybe he's thinking how i was thinking I, like cor- yeah correct a bit. correct because because really clayton kershaw historically has not shown up in the playoffs no. until this year. No. Um, so, so when I saw that, I was like, okay, you know, and then um, Brian Brinson uh, says he's taken Scherzer listed some stats here, a 3.38 ERA, 112 innings, 137 strikeouts in 14 postseason games. Um, and he said he has one blue eye and one brown eye. And he said, what's more intimidating Going than for that? the so intimidation I factor. I like it. I, I, I didn't know <laughs> that. Um, but then we have uh, Nathaniel Knoll, formerly known as Nat, Nat Null, uh, probably not formerly, probably still goes by that, <laughs> uh, also says Mad Bum, and I'm going to agree, and I found some stats to argue with Brian just in case he wanted to argue with me. 102 innings pitched, a 2.01 ERA, and 87 Ks, historically is 4-0 and in the World Series. Also not in that comment. I'm, I'm pretty sure he tallied a save. So, uh, I'm going, you know, historically with uh, with Madison Bumgarner there. I think it's a crime that he is an Arizona Diamondback. I think he should have been a giant for the rest of his career. Um, I think they let him go. Also, honorable mention, Justin Verlander. I'm a big Justin Verlander fan too, but he just he he can't compete with Mad Bum and Max. So. Well, he's got one ring. Well, that's and true. That ring that's true. Is, shouldn't exist. Now, tainted. He's a pitcher, so he's not the one benefiting from the garbage cans. But his offense sure was benefiting from the garbage cans. He's benefiting from he's benefiting from the runs scored because of that trash. So I I mean, it's hard to put him in those four, but you have to. Uh, To be honest with you, the Nationals last year, I, I think instead of Justin Verlander you may have to put Steven Strasburg in that top four because he was untouchable in last year's postseason. Not just the World Series. That's true. He was the MVP in last year's World Series. So I think you may if, – if we're going, you know, current pitchers, you, you may have to put Strasburg up there over Verlander just because Verlander's World Series is, it should be tainted. And Strasburg was the MVP on a team that had Max Scherzer. So – you know, yeah. just throwing that out there. I mean, you know, I'm a big Steven Strasburg guy. I, I always have been. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's a good group of pitchers. That's for sure. Yep. Uh, two things also from the World Series. We'll just wrap this up real quick. But two things that I just wanted to uh, to bring attention to. Number one, the World Series MVP uh, was Corey Seager. 
Uh, finished the World Series with a 400 average on base percentage of over 500, 700 slugging. He had two home runs, four doubles, a stolen base, scored seven times, drove in five, and 14 times he was on base that led everyone in the World Series. So when Adam was talking earlier about the uh, historical post or uh, World Series that he had, that's what we're talking about. Um, but something else to keep your eye on, something that I will be watching next year uh, in the baseball season for watching very closely is the emergence of a new star potential in Randy Arozarena from the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm intrigued by this guy, Adam. I don't. Uh, you said you didn't watch the World Series, I, but I'm sure you know, know about Randy. Yep. And uh, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm all in. I want to see if what he is doing, if he will continue, um, if he will continue to dominate. You can say dominate in the way that he that he has uh, in this postseason. Because if he does, the Rays have themselves a star. He had 10 home runs this postseason. He had 14 extra base hits. 28 total hits, and he had five three-hit games in the postseason. You know, he so I'm intrigued. He's got more postseason home runs than the greatest hitter to ever walk the earth in Barry Bonds. Can you believe that? And he's been in one postseason. One postseason. I mean, yep. I I'm in, man. I'm I'm gonna be watching him closely. Randy Arozarena. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be interesting. That that Rays team. If you're not a fan of big spenders, you can sit back and say that they're doing it right, but they're getting a lot of good performance from their younger players who are not quite making a lot of money yet. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. What I think is interesting is when you have these low-budget teams who see the emergence of these stars, you're quickly going to find out if they're going to become spenders or if they're not, because if a Rosarania can continue uh, doing what he's doing at some point, he's going to want to get, yeah, but this is and other teams will pay that. You got arbitration. He's going to be under arbitration for five years. Baseball is ridiculous with their salaries. There's so many baseball players who are not making the money that they deserve because of the stupid arbitration rules. It's so dumb. (laughs) <laughs> we could get into that for another three hours, but I'm not going to. That's the reason why the Rays are not big spenders because Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows and Randy Rosarena are all under arbitration and they're not making nearly what they're worth. Uh, Glasnow and Austin Meadows, also former Pirates, as well as as, as Charlie Moore, former Pirates. So good to see them playing well, not in the city that they played in yep. first. I kind of figured that was coming. Uh, But before we make the transition to football, I just want to say one thing to the Philadelphia Phillies. Please, please, please re-sign JT. And Didi. Moving on. And Didi. Bring him back. I like him. Oh, my goodness. Bring him back. Bring him back. Either or both of those men. And I don't even like the Phillies. Yep. Oh my. All right. Well, that's enough of baseball. Baseball is officially over until next year. Sad face, but we're going to make a transition into the NFL. We're going to bring up week seven. Uh, We highlighted two games from week seven last week, which one of them we already talked about earlier in the show and we will cover here shortly, but we're going to go with number one because I know that my good friend Adam Ferguson was a happy, happy, happy man on Sunday. So uh, we're going to talk about the Steelers and the Titans. Adam, what did you see? What did you like? What made you afraid you, 
you say a happy, happy man. I was a happy man for a half and then what a minute after the after the last possession for the Titans. My goodness, scary, scary game uh, for the Steelers. They go up 24-7 in the first half and are coasting. And I felt like it was last week against the Browns. I'm like, this is great. I, I've never had two Steelers games in a row where I didn't need my heartburn medication. I don't take heartburn medication, but I probably should when I watch Steelers. But, you know, then the second half rolls around, and all of a sudden, a couple of breaks happened for Tennessee. And I, I, I was angry tweeting during this game, but I stick by it. I have never seen a team oh. get so lucky in that game than the Titans did. I'm talking – I'm not talking penalties. If we even take that off the table, I'm talking – tipped passes getting completed to Titans receivers, tipped passes at the line by the Titans defense becoming intercepted, but the Steelers tipping passes at the line falls near nobody. I'm talking a ball being just an inch or two past the hand of a linebacker to get knocked down or possibly be intercepted goes for a 73-yard touchdown. The Titans in the second half got so many breaks. Their first touchdown drive, they had a, a tipped pass that should have been intercepted and it was broken up by Two Steelers broke it up on each other, uh, it, and it was brought in by A.J. Brown. So it, it was a tipped pass, should have been intercepted, and it was caught. And then Ryan Tannehill gets whacked down inside the red zone, fumbles the ball, and then it falls right in the lap of a Titans player on the same drive. And that's how they, got, they scored their first touchdown. And then you got the Steelers who scored three points in the second half. So not only – with the Titans catching breaks, but they were stopping the Steelers on offense. And and Big Ben in the second half looked not tremendous. Uh, he threw three picks. Uh, two of them I'm okay with. One of them was a batted ball that just kind of hung up in the air and got picked off. And the other one was at the end of the first half. He had to take a shot at the end zone, and it got intercepted. It is what it is. The third interception came on that last drive where they had a chance to put points on the board and kind of close the game out. And he threw – the ball into triple coverage into the end zone and it was tipped and picked off, which led the Titans to drive down the field and give them a chance for that game winning or the game tying field goal by Goskowski, who thankfully missed. So the Steelers move on to six and oh, but overall a, a, a horrifying game by the Steelers in the second half. The first half, they looked unstoppable, best team in football. This is ridiculous. I've never seen anything like this. And then the second half, they got kind of got brought down to earth a little bit, and uh, the Titans showed why they can stay in games. Their play-action pass game is possibly the best in the NFL, and it helps when Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry. And when you hold Derrick Henry to 75 yards rushing, it's a win by the Steelers' defense. They did a very good job in containing Henry, uh, just the Titans got very, very lucky in that second half, and their luck ran out off the foot of Steven Goskowski, and I couldn't be more happy about it. 6-0, and undefeated. It's Ravens week. Uh, I'm excited. We're going to talk about that one in a little bit, too. Um, can we not? But, can we just skip uh, you know, it? While you were it's, talking. We, eh. no, I'm, I'm already taking my heart I don't think we can. And it's Thursday. <laughs> Um, before we jump into to the next game, um, and in order to get the discussion started on our Facebook page, I will say I went to Adam's Twitter <laughs> while he was talking there, and he said that he was angry tweeting. I will say uh, he did retweet um, a, a post by NFL Memes. It says, if Mahomes did this, it would overtake coronavirus oh, yeah. and the election as the most covered story on the news. This was a, I don't even know what you call it, kind of throw shoved it. Uh, that Roethlisberger threw. Yeah, literally. Uh, yeah. Um, 
to Eric Ebron. Yeah, Eric Ebron. Um, didn't I mean I think he gained five or six yards on the play, that, but that I would agree. Um, that, that man, touchdown drive. Yeah. So so if if you're listening, go ahead and head over to the Facebook page. The link will be in the description. Let us know what you think of that pass. Let us know uh, if you agree with that comment because I'm gonna say I do. I've seen Mahomes do He's some things less. not is, as great yeah. as that, and 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 we're talking about it. You know, three weeks later. Uh, praising the man. So, so head on over to the Facebook page, watch that and uh, let us know. But uh, that was a great game for me to watch because I had no, I had nothing invested in it really. I was just watching because it was a great football game. And uh, I knew going into the second half that you were feeling pretty good. And as I'm watching the second half, I'm like, Oh, Oh no. I was like, Adam is gonna be, he's going to lose his mind if they lose this game. And it got way way closer than you or I thought it was going to. I think if we're sitting at halftime and you would have told me that the game was going to be as close as it was, um, I probably would have (laughs) laughed at you, but that's sports and that's football. But the Pittsburgh Steelers are the only remaining undefeated team in the NFL. And if you ask me today, they are the best team in the NFL. They are number one on my power rankings. Um, I, I still see, I, I saw, I was looking at power rankings the other day posted by different people. There are still people listing the Kansas city chiefs as the number one in the NFL. And I just really don't see how you can do that. Um, but we're we'll, we'll find out, uh, this week, you know, we'll maybe see what, you know, if the Steelers are for real, I'm which so I think sick they of are. People saying, um, and we'll I, see if they can I change so some tired minds. Of people saying that the Steelers haven't played anybody yet. A, they don't control their schedule. They're literally just winning the games that are in front of them. And they beat the Browns, who have a winning record. And they beat the Titans, who have a winning record and were undefeated going into the game. They beat the Eagles, who hung around with the Ravens, who everybody's praising as the team, one of the two two teams being the Chiefs and the Ravens, to beat in the AFC. I'm so sick of people saying that the Steelers haven't played anybody. And if they come out of this three-game stretch, I'll say two-game stretch because they do have the Cowboys in two weeks, and they are just so bad. But looking at it like to start the season, this was going to be a tough stretch of games for the Steelers. But if they come out of the Titans and Ravens weeks 2-0, and there's no question who the best team in the NFL is. I can, I can right now put the Chiefs ahead of the Steelers because of their 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 offense is so ridiculous, but there's not a more complete team in the NFL right now than the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, I I have to agree with you 100%. Um, they're doing it and on both sides teams. of the ball. Their special teams has been the, extremely the, the, underrated this year. The thing that gets me is is the run the run stop. The rush defense is is great. Um Week one held Saquon to like Big Ben six had more yards, yards or something stupid. To tell you that, which is crazy, and and um, you know, and then coming into week seven against Tennessee, probably the league's best running back, and I don't have yards. the stats pulled up to see what he did. Seventy-five yards. That's a win. I, I'll take that all day. If I'm playing Derrick Henry, I will take holding him to less and than hundred. What all if you want to drop so. back and throw the ball fifty times? They're on pace to set the NFL record for sacks in a single season. So go ahead. Yep. So Adam's feeling oh, pretty I'm good. I'm feeling terrible. Uh, it's after, Ravens week. I'm feeling uh, terrible. Week. <laughs> I'm mass. Well, I'm mass. But, well, right okay. Now, but so I feel at the end. <laughs> at the end of last week, oh, you were yeah. feeling pretty good. Um, at the end of last week, I was not. 
Um, so if you, if you, again, if you listen to our podcast last week, um, Adam and I predicted not necessarily that the Broncos were going to win this game, but that it would, that it would and could be close. Um, and that, uh, the Broncos, you know, we're riddled with injuries, you know, for the first couple weeks and things like that, but we're starting to get some people healthy. And I, I just, I thought this again, wasn't going to be one that the Broncos would win, but I definitely thought it was one that we could win um, or at the very least cover that 14 point spread that we talked about earlier. Uh, Needless to say that did not happen. Um, What I found intriguing in this game is Patrick Mahomes only threw for 200 yards and a touchdown and they put up 43 points. So what I see here is just Kansas city getting it done uh, on both sides of the ball. Now, that wasn't without help. Denver helped them out big time. Um, I'm pretty sure that a couple, was it two weeks ago, Melvin Gordon was arrested for a DUI for driving under the influence. He could be arrested this past week for playing under the influence, or so it seemed, because that that toss that he made back to Drew Locke was one of the worst I've seen, um, which, which led to a turnover. Drew Locke also threw two interceptions, and... Um, it just, it didn't look good from the start. Honestly, it kind of reminded me of the Broncos Seahawks Super Bowl, uh, where the first play, the snap went over Peyton Manning's, uh, head back into the end zone and it was a safety. It kind of reminded me of that. I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is bad. Like we just, we could, Denver could do nothing right. They could do nothing right. Um, and I'm hoping you know, I saw some stats comparing, you know, the start of Peyton Manning's career. You know, he had he had bad stats. I still want to believe in Drew Locke, and I don't, you know, I don't want obviously want to see him benched or anything like that. I think uh, I, I don't like the head coach. I don't like Vic Fangio at, at all. I don't like the offensive coordinator and Pat Shermer at all. Um, but I you you still need to see Drew Locke take better care of the ball and some of the throws that he made on Sunday were just careless. Um, they were, he, he was holding onto the ball too long. Um, there just wasn't much going right. I will say the one thing that I'm consistently enjoying watching the Denver Broncos is my man, Philip Lindsay. He does look good. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. He's got, and he's got he gray good. hair and he's got gray hair. Um, nine carries for 79 yards. Again, we talked about uh, Derek Henry only having 75 yards. He did that on 20 carries. Um, Philip Lindsay had 79 yeah. on nine. He reminds me of a Le'Veon Bell where he, he just kind of, I'm not, I see Adam and I are on video right now and I see his eyes just got real big. Like, wow, that's a bold statement. So wow. let me explain. <laughs> um, when I, when I say that, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that he's going to be Le'Veon Bell or he, he's that caliber. But what I see is the patience that Le'Veon Bell, uh, had when he was in Pittsburgh where he would, he would be handed the ball. And he would he would real quick, you know, just take a look and see what was going on, and then burst. Then he would explode. Um, and I see that from Philip Lindsay, and I like that a lot um, because he has the speed that he can do that, and he can he can pop through a hole really quick and turn what looks like a three or four yard gain into an eight, nine, ten, or even longer. So uh, that was the one highlight for me. Other than that, not 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 too many highlights in that game, and so. Um, if you listened to us last week and you bet on Sorry. Denver to cover that spread, 
I apologize. <laughs> but so we we wanted to just touch on that game real quick, just because we talked about it last week. But then we had another game last week that was very near and dear to Adam Ferguson's heart. Uh, another division game within the pit, within Pittsburgh's division, the Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals. Go ahead, Adam. I'll let you go, and then <laughs> what do I say? Yeah. Baker Mayfield plays really, really well against teams that he is supposed to beat. And what bothers me is they sneak away with a three-point victory over the one four-and-one at the time, Cincinnati Bengals, who can't stop a nosebleed on defense. Pretty good on offense. You know, Joe Burrow's top five in the NFL in passing. That's not the problem for the Bengals. Their defense is terrible. And they just traded one of their premier pass rushers in Carlos Dunlap, so he's gone. So it doesn't look like they're, that they're trying to salvage anything on the defensive side of the ball. Baker Mayfield throws a go-ahead touchdown pass. Pretty good throw. He, he put it on a dime. I'll give him credit. He, he, he was nearly perfect after the first quarter where he went, 0 for 5 with an interception, which on that play ended up getting his number one receiver hurt and out for the season. He was nearly perfect. He was 22 of 23, had a perfect passer rating in quarters two, three, and four. And I get that you're excited after the win, but what bugs me is the Baker Mayfield dancing videos after the game where he's all feeling himself after a win against the Bengals, but can't step up to the stage when it's a game that matters. It's a game that you have against not only a playoff contender, but a Super Bowl contender. If you want to come out and say that you are here and you are ready to compete, you've got to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. You've got to beat the Baltimore Ravens. And not only are they not beating these teams, they are getting destroyed by these teams. And the Cleveland Browns being five and two is baffling because they are not a five and two football team. They are not as good as their record indicates. Now Baker Mayfield looked pretty darn good. He really did on Sunday. So did Joe Burrow. It was a shootout. And both teams have bad defenses, but if I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, I'm sick and tired of my quarterback coming out here post games, going on Instagram live and dancing for the cameras. When one week prior you were benched in the game because your coach wanted to protect you because you couldn't get the job done. You were holding on to the ball too long and you were getting destroyed by the pass rush. He got benched for case Keenum. And now all of a sudden, you beat a team that nobody expected to be good, and you're in the locker room dancing. Did you forget about what happened the week prior, or do you just not care? And if I'm, if you know, unobjectively, not even unobjectively speaking, I think he doesn't care. I don't think he cares. And it, it's just, it. I am not a Baker Mayfield fan. I don't think he's a good quarterback. He's just he plays well against bad teams, but he can't step up to the spotlight against good teams. Yeah, you said it. Um, he 
So, well, you kind of said it. So he, they're a five and two football team, right? Two of those wins are against the Washington football team and the Dallas Cowboys. So those are like, I mean, you should win those games. Um, and now you've beaten the Bengals twice, which you should beat the Bengals twice. Um, granted, I will say, if I had to pick a quarterback from these from this game, one of those two starting quarterbacks, if I'm starting a franchise tomorrow and I have to pick one of those, it's Joe Burrow all day. Never I'm taking even Big Ben. Baker I don't Mayfield. care that he's 50. I'm but taking the, Big Ben to start a franchise. I'll take Big Ben for one year over Baker well, Mayfield I'm, I'm, to start I'm, a franchise. But I, I, I'm I, saying, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, but my thing is, you know, and you said it, I was never a Baker Mayfield fan at all. Um, didn't understand, you know, I, I believe they, if I'm remembering right, they traded up. No, for Baker. They, they were, they, they were on 16. Right? No. Okay. Well, even so taking that, taking that pick at number one, when the other options that were available, um, I, I didn't understand, but my, my biggest uh, concern, I guess, is, you want to get on and you want to dance and you want to you know do all these things. Your two division games, like you said, against the Super Bowl contender. So it doesn't matter if you finish this the season. Um, you know they still have to play Baltimore and Pittsburgh again. So if you finish the season twelve and four, and your four losses are to Pittsburgh and Baltimore twice, and you get blown out in all four of those games, guess who you have to play to make it to the show. You have to play through one of those teams. And so if I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, this record means absolutely nothing to me. It carries absolutely no weight. If I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, I do not believe in my starting quarterback. You can't. He, he went out and he beat the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, and, and, and he made some good passes. Um, you know, at the end of the game, the, the, the throw in the end zone was – it was on a dime, and it was a great throw. But like you said, he cannot beat the teams that he will have to beat later in the season to make it to the show. We're talking a loss 38-6 to and 38-7 to to the Ravens and the Steelers, respectively. So it's not even that he can't beat them. They are not even close. They are not even close. And so if I'm, if I'm a Browns fan, I, I can't feel good about this at all. Not at all. Well, um, you know. That, that, we'll I see. That's, they, that's they just got my a, opinion, but they got um, a good game. If, if I'm a if, so, we'll see. If I'm a Browns fan, I want my team to start looking for a real quarterback. <laughs> what I said it. Uh, moving on, our last game from Week Seven. Um, we had the Seahawks and the Cardinals. The reason that we wanted to talk about this one: this was an overtime thriller. Uh, where the Cardinals actually came out on top against the Seahawks by three, 37 to 34. And uh, I was watching this game. And one of the things that just got me was the chemistry that Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett have. They're incredible. They're incredible and fun to watch. Tyler Lockett finished a game with 15 receptions for 200 yards and three TDs. Um, and so, uh, that that was just fun to watch. But another reason I wanted to highlight this is because uh, earlier in the season, Adam, you and I made predictions for uh, for the different divisions. And, and I'm not saying this in any way to toot my own horn, but just something for us to talk about. Um, within their division, um, they have now played uh, two games against the 49ers and the Seahawks. And uh, I think at the beginning of the season, 
your question was, you know, could the, could the Cardinals defense stand up to these teams? Um, and, you know, could they give Kyler Murray an opportunity to win these games? So within the division, they are two and zero. they beat the 49ers 24 to four or 24 to 20 week one and 37 to 34 beating the Seahawks this week. They're two and zero in the division. They're five and two in the NFC West. Um, they are, they are actually tied with Seattle in points for, they have 203 points scored on the season. Um, Adam, what do you think? Are the Cardinals there? I think that Russell Wilson is probably the MVP of the league at this point in the season. And he cannot do it by himself. His defense may be the worst defense in the entire league. And if they're not, they're just barely better than the Cowboys defense because they're both really bad. Russell Wilson cannot consistently go out and throw five touchdowns with no turnovers or have five total touchdowns with no turnovers. And we saw him turn the ball over a few times the other night. And when he's having an off night, an off night, quote unquote, his defense has not been able to step up. So while Russell Wilson himself is amazing and is playing at a level that we haven't seen him yet. And honestly, I don't even think Russell Wilson is in his prime yet, which is scary. But the Seattle Seahawks cannot continue to rely on him to play perfect football because of how bad their defense is. Kyler Murray, I think, is great. The, the Cardinals have a very talented offense. They have a lot of weapons, and I think they exposed Seattle. But we both picked Seattle to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, and I don't feel very confident in that pick right now because of their defense being as bad as it is. They went out and they made a big move to get Jamal Adams and he hasn't helped. He hasn't helped. He's a, he's a great player, but outside of Adams and Bobby Wagner, their, their defense is just terrible. It's terrible. They, They give up passing yards at a higher rate than any team in the league. They get run all over it. They just, there's not a bright spot on their defense in terms of a team defense. And that's not going to get you very far in the playoffs. You got to figure it out on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, Russell Wilson right now is, is playing quarterback, the quarterback position better than anybody else in the league. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I can, uh, I can agree with you on that for sure. Um, the three interceptions while it's, well, you know, obviously you don't want to see that, um, the, again, the defense there just, you know, put him in a position where it was a close game in the end. And, um, you know, again, he, he can't do it all. And, uh, they had an opportunity to win it in overtime. Um, with the first possession, they were unable to move the ball. The, the Cardinals defense played a very well, uh, or, uh, a very good first possession in overtime to, to get the ball back. And, uh, it was, it was, it was a good game to watch and, like I said, the Cardinals are 2-0 in the division, beating the Seahawks and the 49ers. So uh, we'll see what happens there in the NFC West. So uh, moving ahead then to week eight, uh, we just have a couple things we want to highlight quick before we wrap up the show. Um, number one this week, it is Tua Tagovailoa time in Miami. Uh, he will have had two weeks to prepare with the first team. Uh, after the Dolphins made the decision last week to bench Fitzmagic in favor of their potential, uh, you know, new franchise quarterback. So 
I'm intrigued by this. I know a couple Miami Dolphins fans um, who are, I will say they're excited to watch this game to see what it, what it is they have in Tua. Um, you and I talked about this last week or the week before um, the benching of Fitzpatrick, how it seems kind of untimely when you're winning football games and, you know, not really wanting to upset the flow if it's working. Uh, if it's not broken, you don't fix it. Um, but the, the Dolphins here, they, they want to see what they have. And so um, it's to a time in Miami. Talk, talk uh, does this grab you at all, Adam? What are you thinking? A ridiculous situation because not only is it his first NFL career start, his first NFL career start comes up against – I think the best overall player in the NFL and Aaron Donald and who might be at the end of the day, might be the best defensive player to ever play the game. He he's unreal. And the Dolphins offensive line is not that great. And the Rams boast a pretty, pretty good, pretty strong pass rush. I mean, it's not, it's not elite, but it, it, it you got Aaron Donald on your team. You are going to get pressure on any quarterback. And uh, Tua's first test is against the Rams, and he is a three and a half point dog as of right now. I'm saying the Rams are going to cover that spread and then some. I don't think it's going to go too well for Tua. Don't have a lot of faith this week. Here's here's what I don't like. You've got a quarterback that is coming back from a pretty serious hip injury to face Aaron Donald. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> You you know you you gave up a, a top five pick I believe for this guy they, and, they um, they've given him two weeks essentially uh, to prepare for the Rams they had their bye week which there's no practices during the bye week typically but they've given him two weeks to prepare for the Rams and if I'm the my you cannot go into this game without letting Tua have full reign of the playbook you can't play it safe. If you, if, you, if you script your plays for the first couple of drives, you are going to do poorly. And a lot of times with these rookie quarterbacks, now it's a different league. It is a different league. But a lot of times these rookie quarterbacks are on a very short leash. And I don't feel like that they can do that this week against the Rams if they want a chance to, to have Tua walk away 1-0 as a starter. Yeah, he's uh... – he said it's it's a it's a tough situation as well. You made a, a statement, I believe, last week that you think the Dolphins do why not would want you? to win. Why would you? You you've got is your quarterback correct? of the future. And I think that's why they benched Fitzpatrick, because why would you want to win? He's winning you football games and you want to try to surround Tua with either a really good offensive weapon or get him a stinking lineman to protect him over his career. Why would you want to win games? So maybe this is a pl- maybe they want to lose games, but I mean, I think you can lose games a little bit better than than throwing your rookie quarterback to the wolves. Don't you have a third stringer you can get in? I I, I don't know. I'd be excited. I'd be excited if I was a Dolphins. Uh, that fan. would make you it get to see your next guy up. I get it, but if you put your third string quarterback in over a guy that's winning you games and your second string quarterback, that's your franchise quarterback. And it that's going to look, look a little some suspicious. Some of these NFL teams that are tanking for Trevor Lawrence, it doesn't look suspicious. You think the New York Jets are trying to win games? I mean, 
I mean, you know, I know that the Miami Dolphins were trying to win games for a long time with Adam Gase as their head coach, and they literally <laughs> look as bad as the New York Jets do right now. So, well, let's, yes, uh, I do. Let's move on to my most <laughs> oh, game of the week. It's Ravens week, Stu. Steelers versus Ravens. It is oh, – I feel terrible. It's in Baltimore. It's a noon game. It, it's a 1 o'clock game, I guess, for the East Coast people. Uh, it, it's It's – oh, man. It is – I'm nervous. I'm nervous. What the Steelers have going for them, again, is their rushing defense. They have the number one rushing defense in the league, and it's not necessarily very close. The Ravens have the third rushing offense in the NFL. This will be the third week in a row where the Steelers face a top three rushing offense, and for the last two weeks, they have shut it down. Now, it's different with the Ravens. They've got a quarterback who who contributes to the, the rushing game. And it's not that Baker Mayfield and Ryan Tannehill aren't aren't Lamar Jackson. So it's coming from a different a different angle and a different place. But the thing that the Steelers really did well last year when they were at full strength was they forced Lamar to have to win the game with his arm last season in the first matchup. They, they played week 17 in a meaningless game and the Steelers lost. They weren't at full strength. You, know, you throw that game out the window. They played Lamar Jackson early in the season after Ben went down. Mason Rudolph gets hurt in that game who wasn't great. So they had their third string quarterback, Duck Hodges, in the game and they should have beaten the Ravens. They should have beaten Lamar Jackson through three interceptions and they took the game to overtime. And Mike Tomlin made a gutsy call by kicking the ball in overtime to give his defense a chance to try to win him that game. They get a stop. The Steelers are driving, and a really untimely fumble by Juju sets the Ravens up for a game-winning field goal in overtime. They should have beaten the Ravens last year at full strength on defense and not full strength on offense. Now, Lamar Jackson, MVP, he's had that whole season to progress. He's not looked great in games where he's got to win the game with his arm. And the Steelers passing defense is, is, is really, it's soft across the middle of the field. They've kind of gotten exposed the last couple of weeks. What they have going for them is their pass rush. If they can get to Lamar Jackson and force him to dance around, this game won't be close. But the thing about Lamar is his dancing around, it fools everybody and when it fools everybody his guys are wide open and it's this is the game to watch this week and i honestly don't think there's another one unless you're a fan of one of those teams there's not a game that you should be watching that isn't this game this upcoming sunday at at one o'clock on cbs it is this is the best rival rivalry game in football. It is uh, since night. I think I saw a stat since 1999. The Ravens have won 23 times, and the Steelers have won 23 times. And the points per game is like 20.3 to 19.5. It is as close as it can get between these two teams. And it to me, and I'm trying to say this as unbiased as I possibly can. It is the best rivalry in the NFL. It really is. And this game is. I'm nervous as a Steelers fan. I really want them to get to seven and zero. I'm very nervous about this game on Sunday. I'm looking at the ESPN matchup predictor, and it has the Ravens at a 67 percent chance of win. And I, I mean, I don't get that at all. At at the very least, the, Ra- the, the Ravens are favored by three and a half, um, which they're home. The, the thing so is, they get that field goal. 
Yeah. Right. Which you said goes to the home team. Right. So what, what I think, um, I I mean, I, I I personally think if the Steelers can get the ball first and score, they will control that on the first possession because, but you said it, this is a, this is a team, you know, Lamar Jackson, this is a team that, um, he, he can't play from behind when he is forced to rely on his arm. Um, historically he can't get it done. If he, if he can get a lead, if he can build a lead and he can run the ball and control the clock and all those things, um, it, they're a tough team to beat. But if you can get up early on the Baltimore Ravens with this defense, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it, is really fortunate. Uh, is yeah. That the Steelers I, I think, do not have to account for Des Bryant this week. They did just sign him to the practice squad. And I think he will make the roster the 53 man roster. But thankfully the Steelers don't have to account for Des Bryant this week. Cause I still think he could kind of be a little, a little bit of a beast. He was always a freak athlete. So we have to look forward to that later on in the season, but as of right now in week eight, he is unaccounted for for the Steelers, and that's a big break that, that for the Steelers that they don't have to worry about worry about Des Bryant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we we had two more games that we were going to talk about. Um, we'll we'll kind of just really quick highlight this one. Um, I just wanted to highlight the 49ers and the Seahawks. Um, you have a first place and a last place team. And when I say last place team, I'm talking about uh, a four and three San Francisco 49ers sitting in the last place in their division. Um, you know, to me, that just seemed it's, it's an intriguing matchup to watch. Um, again, you've got, you, you've got Russell Wilson on one side and you've got Jimmy Garoppolo on the other side. So um, I'm a fan of Jimmy G, but um, the thing is, it's just that Seattle D- defense that remains uh, big question mark. So that'll be a fun one to watch. That's all I'm really going to say about that one. Cause we are running out of time here. I'm going to give Adam uh, the Patriots versus the bills. Patriots bills. Uh, two teams real quick for our last game of week eight to, win to try to stay a playoff contention. Um, that a, that AFC East is a pretty bad division. As it turns out, we thought the bills were going to run away with it. They've kind of been disappointing in the last couple of weeks and they desperately need a win. And the Patriots desperately need a win. So that's going to be an interesting game to watch for, the storyline of two teams that have zero momentum right now and something's got to give. So it's going to be another interesting game there to watch between the bills and the Patriots, but uh, it's a big week. Hey, real, real quick. Yeah. I think with, I think those two teams are the two Mm -hmm. teams in the NFL that need a win the most Um, because in new England um, at the start of the season, Cam Newton looked like he could be the answer there. Um, you know, his first game or two and now since has kind of flattened um, and the the opposite. Well, I guess not the opposite, but Buffalo, again, started very hot. Um, and now we've seen them kind of lose two games here. Um, granted, it was to the Titans and the Chiefs, but even last week losing or um, beating the Jets, but only only by eight. I don't think anybody was expecting that either. So uh, the Bills have a lot to prove here the next couple of weeks. They've got the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, the Chargers, the Niners, and the Steelers all five weeks in a row. Um, so that is a, that's a tough uh, stretch of games there. But, man, if you, if you start this off, if you start off that five-game stretch with a loss and you move to five and three, you know, you're potentially looking at five losses in a row there. And you could, you could come out of that stretch five and seven, um, not in a favorable spot. But then New England, like I said, 
you know, you lost your franchise quarterback, but you still have Bill yep, Belichick. Absolutely. You know that's well, that's going to do it for this week's for. episode of Going to Extras. If you listen to us here on Spotify or wherever you listen, we just want to take the chance to say thank you. Go ahead and give us a follow or a like on Facebook, and we're going to be doing some more interactive posts here over the next couple of weeks to try to get our fans involved and uh, get some conversation going. But again, for my, my good buddy Aaron, I'm Adam. Thank you once again for listening to Going to Extras.